wish to attract higher levels of good health, personal and interpersonal relationships, and a deeper connection with spirit, you've tuned in at the right time and to the right place. This is Awakened Hearts with Rebecca and Boyd Campbell. In our program, we'll provide intuitive readings, insight, and guidance to help you connect with spirit and experience more from life. Now, here are your hosts, Rebecca and Boyd Campbell. Welcome, everyone. We are thrilled that you have joined us here today. We are your hosts, Rebecca Campbell. And Boyd Campbell. And you are listening to Awakened Hearts on the 7th Wave channel of Voice America Talk Radio. You can contact us by email, hello at sundrahealing.com. Like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, connect with us on LinkedIn, add us on Google+, and of course, visit our website, sundrahealing.com. We have Stephen Dinan with us today, and Stephen is the founder and CEO of The Shift Network. He is a member of the Transformational, Transformational Leadership Council and Evolutionary Leaders, a social, so wow, a social <laughs> entrepreneur and leading voice in the transpartisan movement. Stephen has been a featured speaker at conferences and events all over the world. And today we will be discussing the topics covered in his latest book called Sacred America, Sacred World, Fulfilling Our Mission in Service to All. Welcome, Stephen. Thank you so much for having me. Yes, truly a pleasure for us today. We just wanted to share with our guests how they could reach you uh, after the show. So would that be through your website? Yeah, it's best to get on the um if we're going to, particularly around the book, to get on the uh, American Evolution series that we're doing, so go to sacredamerica.net, and then you can uh, you buy a book, and you can get on a, a special list where get the political updates. Ah, okay, wonderful, sacredamerica.net. Okay, well, we have so many questions, we probably could have you on for five hours today, but uh, <laughs> we'll narrow it down, and... The first thing I guess I'd like you to share is what problem is it that you are addressing in this book? Well, the, the deeper problem is really that there's a failure of vision and method about how do we evolve America to the next level. In many ways, we've gotten stuck at a certain level of dysfunction which is uh, exemplified in many ways by this election. It's, it's turned into just a, just a incredibly destructive food fight. And there's, there's, a, there's a sort of, a, there's a higher possibility for America to really serve the, the planet as a whole. And that's what I want to help unleash in this book is a pathway for how to do that, how to go beyond some of the partisan uh, bitterness and to find the common ground and to find the deeper spiritual mission, if you will, of, of America and to, and to light the pathway for how do we get out of some of our current challenges. And I think this is a really important subject, not just for America, but really for the world, since America does exert so much influence on the global stage between 20% of the world's economy and 37% of the world's military. We have an outsized effect on the evolution of the planet. So until America goes to our next level politically and socially, it's very difficult for the world to go to the next level of our health and and happiness, really. Mm, Yeah, that's very true. I know for Boyd and I, we're from Canada. And, you know, Canadians are watching very closely what's happening there, as I'm sure the whole world is, because, yeah, uh, America is 
it is a key, a key cog in the yeah. wheel of. Yeah, what happens there has a direct effect on everything in our lives for sure. Mm-hmm. For sure. Yeah. One thing I should mention up front, I mean, the title of the book is Sacred America, Sacred World. What I would love to, to have happen is if the book gets enough traction over time that it becomes something where other countries have their own version. So you could have a sacred Canada, sacred world, or sacred Australia, or sacred Mexico. So in a way, each country mm-hmm. is doing the deeper excavation of what are the what is the, the, the deeper mission that's held within our country? What are we collectively in service to? And also, what are the things that we really need to address and reform and shift in order for us to express more of our potential? So I think each mm-hmm. country has got a unique gift or blessing into the larger evolution of the planet. And America's is... Um, yeah, you know, there's there's a lot of dimensions to it we can talk about, but it's it really it, we're not we're not we're not doing it right now. Right now we're we're sort of stuck in a kind of a, a a certain level of grandiose, often bullying kind of relationship with the rest of the world, rather than really shifting into a role of kind of sacred sacred uh, stewardship and sacred leadership and service to the whole. Mm. Yeah, it's almost it's almost like being a father of the world, I guess. Basically, the responsibility yeah. there. Well, right? in many ways, we've you know we have it, the way it's worked out. We are the the primary superpower right now, and the question is whether we shift that power to the next level where it's really consecrated to the good of the whole. It's like when you go through individual development, we pass through phases of where we're building our own capacity and our own self, and that's that's largely where we are. We're focused as a country more around our self interest. And so it shifts up into more of the father energy where you start to really take care of the family and the extended community. And so there's, it, it shifts from the self-interest into the collective interest. And so that's part of the developmental transition America's going through right now. Hmm. So in your book, you talk about transpartisanism. Can you um, explain what that term means? Yeah, it's a movement that's been is a somewhat loose movement, but there's a lot of different people who are working on pieces of it. That is transpartisan means you know beyond partisanship, um, and it, it means to to sort of like we transcend and include. When we transcend something on our path of growth and development, we're going beyond it, and we're also including what went before. So bipartisanship is like we're just going to negotiate from within these party labels, but transpartisanship is really grounding in a higher sense of identity. It's more unitive. It's saying that even though we have different party labels and different philosophies about how to evolve things politically, that we actually have a de- have a deeper commitment to be fellow Americans or fellow global citizens. Ultimately, that unity is what allows the diversity to be productive. And I think we need to treat political diversity like other kinds of diversity, that it can be generative and creative and beneficial rather than we're simply warring with other points of view and, and making them all wrong. Instead, we, we learn from them, we grow from them, we expand our skill set, our ability to value more things. And as we do that, we become better leaders, we become more whole, and we become better able at, at bringing the whole human family back together. Mm. And that sounds awesome. What um, what do you think would be one of the first steps that uh, could happen to start this little bit of a shift? Have you ever thought of well, that? I think there's or? a couple things that need to happen. Um, I mean, first of all, I, I think it's absolutely imperative that we do not elect Donald Trump. And I'm, <laughs> you know, I'm I'm all for transpartisanship. And I went to the Republican National Convention. I've been building more alliances with conservatives and Republicans. And I think that 
in many ways, Donald Trump represents many of the things that are in the shadow of America around our grandiosity, our arrogance, um, some of the, the dominance of others, the, some of the bullying that, that we need to outgrow. And so we're giving, get, getting a chance to see that in kind of a big, you know, technicolor dramatic way and then we have to essentially vote it down <laughs> so that we, we say you know what we're no longer that's no longer who we are we want to evolve into this next level and we have to do that with love in our hearts and actually and, and compassion for him because in many ways he's he's a symbol of so much of of the shadow of what America has, mm. has uh, represented and so we can't hate him we can't we actually have to love him while we all work very clearly to prevent his election, because I do think he would be extremely dangerous and potentially lead to global war by the nature of his temperament and some of his temperamental aspects. So I think it's absolutely important we do that. Then I'm also working on something before the Sunday after the election called a Day of Healing and Reconciliation. So this will have an event in in Washington, D.C., where we have Republicans and Democrats come together in a kind of a spiritual setting where we're, where we're demonstrating the kind of healing that can take place and the reconciliation. And I'm going to be um, working on this with um, a prominent Republican uh, from the log cabin Republicans, Rich Toffel and, and a number of other spiritual leaders. And, and then we're going to invite different congregations around the United States to participate in this. And I, I think this is important. So it's like we're taking a strong stand for the vision of what we want to see in the world. Then we're also releasing some of the animosity and the trauma and the bitterness and really taking a stand for honoring different political viewpoints, which is important. And that's been a lot of the work of this book is to hold this higher ground. And then it's really, you know, because part of if there's a lot of um, – essential disrespect and, and dishonoring that's in the system, in, in our psychological system, people tend to close down and they defend against each other and they're constantly in the state of warfare. And that's really been paralyzing our political process for some time now. So that needs to really shift. And then as that cultural shift happens, as we get better at honoring each other and welcoming the diversity and being able to see conservative and progressive value systems as complementary rather than... Um, in sort of a deathmatch competition to really see that they're both essential for the, for the good of the whole, then, then I think we can work together on a lot of powerful initiatives. In my book, I go into many different things from campaign finance reform to reforming our banking system to how do we ad- deal with global warming. But until there's that internal cultural shift, it's very difficult to, to do so. And, um, so that's, that's part of it. And I also think there's some really deep shadow work we have to do. And Donald Trump is catalyzing some of it by having to deal with this, what I would call the shadow side of patriarchy. It's like the, the, um, the unbridled and often very abusive um, masculine uh, power that has, been, that has really traumatized a lot of people in, in the history. And we, we want to honor and, and celebrate the masculine and men, but we also want to do so in balance with the feminine. Now we're getting a chance to do that on a collective level. So, so there's some shadow, a lot of shadow work we have to do around native peoples. Um, I know you, you, Canada is really leading the way far more than America is on this work. You're tar- starting to take real serious responsibility for looking at the residential schools and, and making apologies and amends. And there's a, a healing that's required of the kind of original genocide of native peoples that, that, uh, on which this, uh, our countries were founded. Then there's a whole piece of shadow work around African-Americans and around women and so there's, there's a lot of shadow work that's required in a way to, 
to regather in the the brokenness and the the um, the wounds of the past, so that we kind of come back together as one larger family. So that I think that shadow work is important to do, and to do it without. Um, without a lot of self-judgment in it because it can easy to turn into shame and just self-blame. It's more like, no, we, we've got a, a lot, our history is littered with all sorts of abuses and it's time to clean those things up so that we can actually thrive and go to the next level. And it just means taking responsibility for it. It doesn't mean we mm-hmm. have to you know, self, self-flagellate. It's more like, okay, there's some really broken areas of our societies and we need to, we need to address that. We need to fix it for sure. Mm-hmm. For sure. Yeah, what you're doing is so, so important, and you are exactly on your path. Just powerful affirmations coming through as you were speaking there. Yeah, yeah. So, my hair's yeah, on end. <laughs> yeah, a lot of gratitude for, for what you're doing, definitely. Yeah. Now, you've said in your book that you are a progressive, and you've learned a lot from conservative values. Could you elaborate on that for us? Yeah. When I was in my 30s and, or 20s and 30, early 30s, I used to be much more of a radical progressive and see conservative as more the problem that we needed to essentially kind of overthrow in a certain way. And, and so uh, I, and that's typical of a lot of people who are left-leaning. And um, what I gradually saw over time is that there's like different functions that are required for a healthy society, one of which is this impulse to innovate at the leading edge, to, to generate new possibilities, new advancements, it's, it's to progress in certain innovative ways. And sometimes that can also be destabilizing. So there's like sometimes the, you know, think of Burning Man or the hippie movement or, um, you know, sometimes art, artist colonies. There's this constant kind of innovative desire for change, change, change. However, if you have too much change, you can destabilize the whole structure of the society and actually end up undermining the foundations for growth. So to actually grow in a good, solid way, individually or collectively, you need to have solid foundations. You need to have uh, trusted social institutions. You need to have profitable businesses. You need to have law and order that actually uh, people can respect. And and so those things need to be in tension with the forces that are trying to kind of innovate and bring in new things. And so if you th- think about that, what you want is you want healthy conservatives. You want a healthy preservation of those social structures and norms that allow a society to be um, healthy and prosperous and for kids to grow up. And I think conservatives often are, are focusing more on the, on the breakdowns or the breakdown of the family or the breakdown of excessive drug use or the breakdowns of um, social codes and morals. And, and so some of those things do need to change and evolve. You know, it's like gay marriage, for instance, that need needed to come in and evolve and we need to embrace that. But to also respect that the conservative temperament is, is often more about preserving the best of what we've inherited and celebrating that. And, and that that's actually an important function for the society to be healthy. And so, and, and it also applies down in the microcosm of our lives. So when I first tried to launch the shift network, I was unsuccessful and ran up a bunch of debt and, my deepest diagnosis was I actually was too radical and too like, you know, gamble everything on the next big idea and didn't really, I needed to kind of understand better how to sequentially, patiently, profitably build a business from the grassroots up. And so I, I ended up going to Republican uh, people and learning more about like how, what they knew, but like learning from their value system, learning from their perspective, being willing to integrate those parts of myself. And 
So the joke was around our household, I needed to integrate my inner Republican in order to create a successful business. <laughs> so, and I have now. So, so that's, that's something that, um, that I can see that it's like we want to have access to that voice, the sober voice, the voice of caution, restraint, often more conservative decision-making, cash reserves, all of those things that tend to be a little more prioritized on, on the right. And so if, in a really, truly healthy society, we have those, those forces that see and respect each other, that they're kind of holding an evolutionary tension in the society. And, um, and that allows for more growth. So on the right, you've got more focus on discipline and self-responsibility and protection. On the, the left, there's more about like, you know, taking care of the, you know, the, the dispossessed and the people who've been victimized and, and, you know, creating more freedoms of, of this around, you know, drug legalization or things like that. And so there's a way in which if you see these things as, as, as creating almost a, a balance in the society, then, then you, you're less invested in the war of like who's winning. I'm always probably going to be very progressive by temperament. I named my, my company, the shift network. And, um, you know, I'm very interested in what's always at the leading edge, but I've realized that in order for uh, our society to evolve, we have to respect and honor in a deep way the, the forces that want to kind of maintain the, the best of what we've inherited. And so when you do that, when you can really see and honor people in a deeper way, then it creates a different uh, ground for engagement. And so I went to the Republican National Convention this year partially because I wanted to just cross-train, as I call it, and uh, spend time you know, engaging with people on the right. I was on a panel at the Purple Tent with uh, Grover Norquist, and it was very ideologically very much the opposite, but I thought it was an interesting discussion, and I found there was some common ground. And So it's, it's possible to do this, and when we do, that's when we can really often move the needle forward because when things are frozen up and just this battle mode, then everybody just gets paralyzed and, and there's no forward move, movement on anything. So we have to reach across different divides and begin to respect each other, even if we have very different views on how the world should move. Hmm. All right. This is perfect time. We're going to go to a break, Stephen, and we will see everybody back here on the other side of two minutes. The Voice America 7th Wave Channel. Rebecca and Boyd have combined their years of experience to create a powerful and effective modality of healing. Each session is unique, tailored to your individual needs, and can be done in person or from any distance. Are you searching for your purpose, soul path, soulmate, or healing for mind, body, and spirit? Are you seeking relief from anxiety, depression, chronic illness, fatigue, or codependency? Book a healing session or receive a free email consultation today. Visit the services page at sundrahealing.com. Rebecca and Boyd have combined their years of experience and their twin flame connection to create powerful, transformational journeys through their classes, workshops, special events, and retreats. Join Rebecca and Boyd on your journey to deepen your connection with spirit and access divine intelligence. This allows healing, creates miracles, and manifests a life of joy and abundance in alignment with your highest good. Visit the classes page of sunderhealing.com and register today. The Voice America 7th Wave Channel. Be extraordinary. Be the change. You are listening. 
listening to Awakened Hearts. To call in and connect to Rebecca and Boyd Campbell on today's program, please call 1-866-472-5795. Again, that's 1-866-472-5795. You may also send an email to hello at sundrahealing.com. Now, let's get back to the show. Welcome back, everyone. You are listening to Awakened Hearts, and we are talking today with Stephen Dinnan and really talking about America and its sacred mission and also on a global perspective, you know, uh, what's happening in the political systems and the polarities and how we need to find a balance there. And I was thinking, Stephen, of the Founding Fathers, and they were very deeply spiritual and highly principled. And do you feel that their ideals are still involved in driving America right now? In many ways, it's the, it's the water we swim in and we kind of take things for granted. So one of the things I do in the book is I just point out how some of the, some of the core principles on which America was founded really are higher sacred principles for humankind. We think of liberty, equality, and justice for all, how revolutionary that was at the time to really put those down. And there's still ideals that are driving us to, you know, to still maximize more liberty and to more deeply apply the principle of equality and to more deeply apply justice for all. Those, just those three alone are powerful North Stars for human evolution. The American template for democracy really has affected democracies worldwide in a profound way. I also think that it's, uh, we think about like the, the motto, e pluribus unum, which means out of many, one. It's far more than a uh, description of unifying 13 colonies into one nation. It's really about a spiritual mission to lead towards more oneness out of many, one. It's for the great diversity of humanity and to come together on a higher level. And so you can see, you know, in spiritual circles, we're always talking about oneness and the experience of global interconnection. And that's actually a spiritual mission that's embedded in our politics. And you don't, so you don't have to dig very deep. I mean, in the constitution, we're talking about, we're always trying to form a more, um, working to form a more perfect union. And so the union actually has the multiple levels of meaning. It's a union of political entities, but it's also a union of, what has been separated or disparate. And so we, we're, we're unifying on another level. That's really in the spirit of America. So that's part of why I think we need to really uh, prevent a, a Trump presidency because he's been exaggerating and um, amplifying the forces of separation and division from racism to sexism to, um, to discriminating against Islam. So there's a way in which that's not in the, in the code or the founding spirit of our country. It's it's uh, in a way it's it's a betrayal of that code and so the the real code of america is to to lead towards greater unity and to unify the world's people so we have we have probably i mean canada is probably close to as as diverse now and at least in some of the major population centers like vancouver and toronto but some of you know we have we have more of the world's cultures and languages and religious religions and ideologies than, than probably any place else on the planet it's a great melting pot that melting pot means that we are trying to not just create a big morass of all of it, but actually find find the higher principles and higher practices that can unite us from around the world. So I think that's part of why we see so many um, innovative 
new approaches to spirituality and personal growth coming out of America because it is this melting, it's a crossroads of global culture. So when we do it well, we're doing it with unity and embracing the full spectrum of diversity. When we do it badly, we, we get caught up in the diversity and start to war with other, other aspects uh, and vying for power, if you will. And so, so that's where it's the unity, the, the, the marriage of unity and diversity is really the secret sauce for what makes America work. And as we do that well, then we're also amplifying that message to the rest of the world through media, through technology. You know, and frankly, I don't think we're doing as good a job as other countries. I think Canada is doing a better job than us right now. But I, I'm calling for, calling for us to better embody that principle in how we, how we address our country. That's very nice. So, as citizens, um, how do we? How are we going to get people to uh, stand up for what they believe in? Um, to be involved, uh, to vote, to speak, and speak out for the communities. How how are you going to inspire people to get them more involved and stand united? Well, I think we. It's it's a lot about momentum. You know, we we build we build our capacity with little acts that become bigger and bigger acts. So you don't necessarily try to get somebody to do the biggest thing first. That's why in the book I go into a lot of little ways that we can make a difference. For instance, microfinance. I talk about how microfinance can really be a far more powerful way to create security and actually address the destabilizing forces of terrorism than military intervention. So if we're making micro loans to entrepreneurs in Islamic countries, that's going to have a big, bigger ripple effect than, uh, you know, loans and smart bombs taking out as Islamic leader or, you know, uh, Islamic terrorist leaders. Mm-hmm. So what you want to do, we want to, we want to be proactively doing these little things. And so that sounds, so bring that down to the individual level. There's something called Kiva.org along with many other people to developing world entrepreneurs. I just have a few thousand dollars that I recirculate there. And, and basically there's, you know, I try to do it in, often in more Islamic areas because I feel like that's an area where there's some real healing needed, often more African countries. The, you know, 99% of the loans get repaid. You don't end up losing it really hardly any money. And these entrepreneurs are getting to lift up their own businesses, and then they're going to be sharing the goodwill with other people. They're saying, wow, you know, I was helped out by a lot of Americans and Canadians or whoever um, to, to get my business on in root, and so that people want to live thriving lives, and so, so it's it's a way to neutralize some of the some of the negative energy that's happening from media and from the polarization at the, the government level. So that's one example of like how we can actually be agents of of foreign policy with very simple acts that take like five minutes or less a day. You know, in other ways, it's more about like building a bridge, like create a you know create a little house party where there's um, something called. Um, living room conversations where they've created a template for how to do transpartisan dialogues that, that are healing. So why not do that in, in your own living room and, and bridge divide that, that, that might be true for you or to become an advocate um, of different reforms in the system. Let's say you're really into financial reforms and you, you advocate for public banking. You know, there's a great example of the bank of North Dakota, which operates in parallel with, private banks and has actually been very successful and uh, generates money for back to the people as well as funding infrastructure development. So it's so we can take little things that are important, those ideas, and then we help amplify them to our friends, our community, and our, legis- our legislators. And when we do that, we become 
empowered. And it's actually, we feel more positive because we're doing something. And the more we do, the more capacity we build. Hmm. Hmm. When you were talking about the finance, it cut out for a second, Stephen, when you were sharing what this organization is. So if people wanted to get involved and assist with financing these small businesses, what was the name of that website or organization? It's kiva.org, kiva.org. Okay. They've done over over $100 million in loans to over a million entrepreneurs at this point around the world. So it's been this great viral growing thing. And imagine if you, you know, we get to the stage where there's 100 million entrepreneurs who've, who have been funded by, by microfinance. And it's, it's, it really is weaving the world back together. Mm. And then the other thing I was talking about was public, um, public banking. So if you just search for, um, I think there's the Public Banking Institute, I believe is what it's, where was organizing the momentum there. It's, it's a really great movement to sort of, you know, we, we complain and uh, about our financial systems and the corruption with our financial systems, but there's actually a fairly simple solution that most of us aren't paying attention to, which isn't to overthrow all the banks of wall street, but to actually create public banks on, you know, city levels, state levels could be a province where, where that's actually the profits of that f- feedback to the people. And it allows you to do more infrastructure development that isn't um, happening. So there's a whole global public banking movement. There's great examples. Bank of North Dakota is the best one in, in the United States, but Switzerland's doing interesting stuff. I think there's something in Canada too. So it's a, that's a way to reform the, the financial systems without overthrowing the old by just creating something better. Right, right. Those are great. Yeah, great resources. I was unaware of both of those, as I'm sure many of our listeners may have been as well. Uh, we're going to go to another break now. And for our listeners out there, if you haven't checked out the spirit animal message for this new moon phase, I encourage you to do so. You can uh, go to our website, sundrahealing.com, to the spirit animal page. It was the dolphin for this two-week phase, and the dolphin is letting us know that we need to make some time to play and have fun amongst Mm -hmm. everything else that we are doing. We will see you on the other side of two minutes. This is the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. Rebecca and Boyd have combined their years of experience and their twin flame connection to create powerful, transformational journeys through their classes, workshops, special events, and retreats. Join Rebecca and Boyd on your journey to deepen your connection with spirit and access divine intelligence. This allows healing, creates miracles, and manifests a life of joy and abundance in alignment with your highest good. Visit the classes page of sunderhealing.com and register today. Rebecca and Boyd have combined their years of experience to create a powerful and effective modality of healing. Each session is unique, tailored to your individual needs, and can be done in person or from any distance. Are you searching for your purpose, soul path, soulmate, or healing for mind, body, and spirit? Are you seeking relief from anxiety, depression, chronic illness, fatigue, or codependency? Book a healing session or receive a free email consultation today. Visit the services page at sunderhealing.com Be visionary This is the Voice America 7th Wave Channel You are listening 
listening to Awakened Hearts. To call in and connect to Rebecca and Boyd Campbell on today's program, please call 1-866-472-5795. Again, that's 1-866-472-5795. You may also send an email to hello at sundrahealing.com. Now, let's get back to the show. Welcome back, everyone. We are talking with Stephen Dinan today, and we are talking about uh, the political situation of America uh, and solutions to bring uh, more unity and more peace, not only to America, but to the world. And I know we touched on the microfinance before we went to the break, and I'm thinking that's maybe one of the ways that, you know, we can help uh, to create peace even in the Middle East uh, for each one of us to individually con- uh, contribute to that. But what else can individual Americans and citizens of other countries do to contribute to this? Well, I think it's, in many ways, it's a lot about bridging divides. It's like we we need to unify as a global people, and then we have the ability to solve so many other problems. And so looking at where is it that we identify and then where do we polarize? A lot of people polarize around politics, and we can tend to denigrate and demonize people who have different political views. Um, that's become, in a way, the, the socially acceptable form of polarization. And I, you know, I called myself out in the book you know, with my, some of my own um, prejudice, really, against, against some conservative leaders that I've, I've, done, I've done a lot to, to heal and, and move beyond. But I think that's, so that's one way we can cross a divide. We can cross a divide religiously. Let's say that, you know, we were concerned about the divide between Islam and the West that has been uh, really, cha- really challenging in different ways. And how do we reach out and create a bridge there? So perhaps going to a local mosque and, and making friends with a local, a local family um, could be just a, a little bit of an outreach. Could be an economic um, thing or, you know, my wife was guided a few years ago to start working in San Quentin prison uh, once, a, once a week, just really three months out of the year. She works once a week with, on a show. And it's been enormously liberating and healing for her to, to, um, to really get to know and befriend people who are murderers and people who have been, um, you know, convicted of very tough uh, crimes and to really realize their humanity and their and ultimately their divinity and and some of these men are quite remarkable in having a commitment to turn things around so that's a that's a more a dramatic divide but we can cross economic divides in the book i talk about um occupying the 100% so there's a tendency now to demonize the 1% and go to war with the 1% but how do we both embrace the 99% and really and really acknowledge some of the depth of challenges that need to be addressed and to not demonize the 1% to really befriend and open to them so that we are creating uh, more healing there. So we can, I, I think that especially people who are more on a spiritual path are really well uh, designed, if you will, to, to come in and pr- pr- provide a, a, a reunifying force. Because when we do that, it's like we're going we're gonna to need to spend less on the military. We're going to squander less on everything from legal fees to, to, to you know, the sort of uh, unnecessary competition. And so there's a way in which we just need to liberate more of humanity's creative genius right now. And we've got a lot of what we need to really turn the planet around, but we're not working well enough together. So that's, I think, very important. 
And then what we do is then we find areas where we can where we can have a higher order purpose that brings us together. If you're particularly um, pained by child sexual slavery, then find then work with a organization like Shared Hope International. That's the one we've partnered with. They've done some really remarkable work around ending child sexual slavery. If you want to get involved in healing our democracy um, in the United States, the Friends Committee on National Legislation, a Quaker organization, is the one we've chosen to work with, a really remarkable group that works across the aisle in D.C. So I think that it's, it's more about like find, you know, finding the, our passion areas and realizing that it's good to be up on a lot of different areas, but it's important to be in action on at least one and preferably a couple that are really substantial commitments for us and that we'd like to make a difference in. And so when we do that, you know, and we do that in a transpartisan way, so we're looking for allies who might not be in our, our normal, um, normal orbit, then it really, it really does, um, it does, have a, it does have a huge effect on the world. Mm, absolutely. Great suggestions. So, um, in your book, you talk about um, the education system not serving the children and young people, um, despite many dedicated teachers. Um, you share a highly effective innovation um, called Challenge Day. Uh, can you tell us what this is, and um, can it work in other schools and other communities? Yeah. So one of the challenges like that we have is is in schools oftentimes these the, the the problems that we have in our adult world are replicated and sometimes exaggerated so there's clicks there's bullying there's a lot of social ostracization people who don't feel like they can be fully real so there's and and so when you, that's important because then in the adult world a lot of those patterns are going to persist so Challenge Day was created by Rich and Yvonne Dutra St. John, really beautiful couple that wanted to apply what they'd been learning in their spiritual work and human potential work to uh, really healing and transforming uh, cultures in schools. So they developed this one-day intervention. They have very powerful uh, facilitators who have gone through their own deep transformation. Often, you know, there's one one guy, Vinny, that is one of their top people, and he, um, you know, he was like a heroin addict and on the streets, and you know, people have gone through some pretty tough stuff and had really tough upbringings and really become um, powerful leaders. So they've got, mm-hmm. I don't know, several dozen of these different leaders. They travel all over the United States, and they have these one-day interventions where people really um, have a series of processes where they cross the line and they realize how many people have have similar challenges, issues, fears, have similar wounds. And, and in the process, there's a, there's a breaking down of a lot of all those barriers between kids, and it creates a whole different template. So Oprah, Oprah got very excited about this model. It's been, I think, at least a million um, students around the country have participated. And it's the kind of thing where, wow, that's a great intervention. There's other programs that do different things, but here's a great intervention that really helps to shift the culture of a school in a positive direction. And those are the kind of innovations that we all need to know about and to help amplify and replicate in our communities. (laughs) That's amazing. Yeah, it's wonderful. And and I hadn't heard of that, I guess maybe because we're in Canada here. But uh, yeah, I, I will look into that more. Now, we're kind of jumping all over the place because we have certain questions that we want to get to. So we're every day, okay, politicians, even those ones that live in states like Florida, where there's extensive flooding from rising waters, 
they're denying global warming. This could mm-hmm. be the biggest mistake humankind makes. What can we do to come together with solutions? And, and what's your perspective on on the global warming issue? Well, I, th- I mean, in the book, I go into a whole set of interconnected strategies that basically build from one premise is that we have to take personal responsibility for our contribution to climate change on, a, on the deepest level. And that's ultimately a very conservative principle is personal responsibility. It tends to be um, something that's emphasized. So when we change the language and focus on the personal responsibility and uh, what I call a climate responsibility fee, um, then, then we, then we're, then it's, it's different. We're sort of building that into things as we build, we price it in, in a way to the, um, the, you know, whether it's we're buying gasoline or, or heating our house or the price of goods that we buy, that basically the, that we're offsetting, um, we're, we're paying to offset the carbon that's generated in the, in the, in the creation. So there's a lot of different things that are now in route, um, from carbon sinks to reforestation to um, a, a lot of different, like radical improvements in, in um, scrubbing technology and coal stacks. And so what you do is by, by creating more of this market-based solution where there's money that is paid for the climate responsibility fee, then it, it basically goes, it gets redirected into something that's going to offset that carbon. And I, I share how you, we could do that fairly rapidly, for instance, in California, which is now the sixth largest economy in the world, if it was freestanding, and to really, in, within you know, 10 years or so, to, to make it, to have the California moonshot, where we, we demonstrate that this can be built into the economy and that California could become a carbon neutral state within 10 years. And I think wow. that that's the kind of thinking that we need to look at. There's, there's all hundreds of things that go into that. But if the big, basic principle is that we're simply building in responsibility for our, our own carbon output um, in everything we do, and that gets priced into, into the markets, and, and then, the, then the offsetting things have, have a bigger and bigger offsetting, have a bigger and bigger market, then we can, we can turn this around. And, you know, I think... 10, 10, 15, 20 years. I mean, it doesn't mean there's some of the damage is not still going to happen, but it does mean that, um, that we could really make a huge impact and prevent some of the worst of it. Hmm. Yeah, it's a big one, and it's definitely one that has a lot of polarity on, on view on that. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, there's a big discussion going on in Canada yeah. about that as well. Yeah, I, our yeah. government is looking at doing a carbon tax, and there's a lot of people that have their uh, hackles up over that one. Yeah. yeah, hopefully, hopefully there's a little bit more education that goes on, so people are more aware of like your explanation. I haven't heard that before, and it makes sense. I don't think a lot mm-hmm. of people understand that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you call for um, UN reform. Uh, and global governance in your book. Uh, millions of people con- would consider government to be an elitist plan to control the world from the top down. Um, I guess we call it the new, new World Order. I think everybody's heard of that. Um, what is your proposal? Uh, how is it different from what they're doing or seeing? Yeah. Well, when people talk about New World Order, what they're usually doing is they're projecting the negative aspects of government into a, a form of global government that would be oppressive and kind of totalitarian. And so what I'm saying is that, that we're not talking about overnight, we're not talking about 10 years, we're talking about maybe 30 years, maybe 50 years out that, that we'll be mature enough as a, as a species to, to really do this. 
But the truth is right now we have a lot of global challenges and we have global corporations which are basically operating to in a way that pits different nation states against each other. So they're operating a little bit outside of the law of any one country. And we also have these global challenges. And so really you have to have some form of limited democratic global governance that helps to make to decide how to address these situations. And so I make the case in the book just as a thought exercise because it's important. And I think it's, a, it's an area where a lot of people have, um, have, an, have an unnecessary antipathy and fear. That's like, oh, that's like uh, anything that's moving more power um, towards a global level is inherently dangerous and inherently um, un- uh, um, destabilizing. And I think that's actually a barrier to us going to the next level. So I don't go into a lot of detail in the, in the book. It's really about painting the broad brush strokes. It's like a, what, what would a, a form of very limited, you know, less than 5% of decision-making, uh, protected from, from uh, corrupting influences like lobbyists, and maximizing democratic participation, what would a, a, a group, a world congress of problem solvers look like that's able to really help address some of our systemic global challenges and really prevent war and prevent environmental degradation, some of the things that are really stymieing us right now. And so I I think, um, you know, it's not something that's going to happen overnight. In fact, it tends to be something that's vilified both left and right. But I think it's an important thing to open to as a possibility because it's a natural side result of the unification of our world. As we really come together as one global human family, there are certain decisions we want to make as a global human family. And we want to have the Mm. wisest people in the world make those decisions. And that's essentially what what governance is, 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 is you're is you're trying to find a way to make collective decisions together, and and so um, ideally we would have you know five percent or less of the decision making happening on a planetary level, then we've got probably you know. 20, 25% happening at national levels, then you've got state levels or province levels, and then you've got local government. You want to push as much power to local government as possible, but local government can't solve global, global problems. So you have, to, you have to actually have decision-making at different levels of the system. And so I, I just put it out there because I think it's important to be part of our overall view of where things are going and to not have um, take in these kind of like spooky, scary, like New World Order kind of things. Mm. It's like, you know, I think that that's essentially just fear programming that is creating a barrier to what, what's a natural, normal evolution of our planet. When we are a healthy, normal, peaceful, healthy planet, we will have some form of limited global governance, and that will be also connected to an era when we no longer have war or the threat of war. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, the fear programming, uh, fortunately, that is starting to, to break down and has been a little bit for a while, and, and that's and wonderful to see. It will definitely take yeah. some time. Yeah. Well, we're going to go to a break. And uh, just to remind all of our listeners, our upcoming events that we have going on locally here, uh, October 15th and 16th, we are offering the Karuna Reiki Level 1 Practitioner and Master's class. And on October 22nd, we have the Yusui Reiki Level 2. And on October 29th, we have another psychic fair. So keep those in mind, and we'll see you back here on the other side of two minutes. The 7th Wave Channel on the Voice America Network. 
Rebecca and Boyd have combined their years of experience to create a powerful and effective modality of healing. Each session is unique, tailored to your individual needs, and can be done in person or from any distance. Are you searching for your purpose, soul path, soulmate, or healing for mind, body, and spirit? Are you seeking relief from anxiety, depression, chronic illness, fatigue, or codependency? Book a healing session or receive a free email consultation today. Visit the services page at sundrahealing.com. Rebecca and Boyd have combined their years of experience and their twin flame connection to create powerful, transformational journeys through their classes, workshops, special events, and retreats. Join Rebecca and Boyd on your journey to deepen your connection with spirit and access divine intelligence. This allows healing, creates miracles, and manifests a life of joy and abundance in alignment with your highest good. Visit the classes page of sunderhealing.com and register today. Invite meaning and inspiration to your life. This is the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. You are listening to Awakened Hearts. To call in and connect to Rebecca and Boyd Campbell on today's program, please call 1-866-472-5795. Again, that's 1-866-472-5795. You may also send an email to hello at sundrahealing.com. Now, let's get back to the show. Welcome back, everyone. We have been talking with Stephen Dinan today, and we have been talking about really uh, creating unity within the world and the individual things that we can start to do as citizens of our own countries to have an impact on that. Boyd, go ahead with your question there. Um, what I was wondering, I've seen in some of the um, writings you have here, you talk about um, wisdom traditions of both the East and the West. Could you um, elaborate a little bit on that for us? You can say, uh, say it again. Um, I'm just I'm just reading here about transpersonal psychology and the wisdom and traditions of both East and the West. Uh-huh. And uh, um, do you use some of this for your uh, work? I guess. Yeah, well, I mean, I I studied uh, I studied East West psychology as as a master's degree, and so transpersonal psychology is one outgrowth of that interface. And in many ways, transpersonal society is transpersonal psychology is about going beyond personal psychology in the same way that uh, transpartisanship is about going beyond partisanship. So. In transpersonal psychology, it takes the realms of spirit and soul seriously, transpersonal experiences that go into anything from past lives to higher levels of reality to discarnate beings to sometimes making connections with um, spirit animals, like a lot of shamanic practices. So it's really t- taking these as a legitimate area for inquiry and investigation and, um, and for healing as well. And so I think this is partially an outgrowth of most of Western psychology largely derived from a more scientific um, orientation, which was also took in certain biases against any sort of religious or mystical experiences. And so it's been a more gradual process that Western psychology is open to validating the importance or the value of some of these um, higher states of consciousness and, and uh, mm-hmm. deeper spiritual experiences. And so those things have been more chronicled in detail in the East with a lot of their focus on um, spiritual practices that disclose higher realms of consciousness and development. 
And so in many ways, transpersonal psychology bridges the best of East and West and uh, is taking seriously that inquiry. And so I think that's part of also this echoing back to what we shared earlier, that part of the the function now is to really glean the wisdom from all these different uh, all these different traditions and integrate integrate the best of it yeah the truth in it or what the truth is that resonates with you I suppose yeah um, the spiritual path you were talking about spiritual path uh, I'm wondering if you see um, people's spiritual paths growing um, the, the awareness growing in America um, you talk a lot about following passions and that type of stuff do you see that growing there yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, 30 or 40 years ago, there was there's hardly anything um, in terms of a movement beyond more traditional value systems. And now there's, you know, 20% of the population is what are called cultural creatives. There's burgeoning movements of all kinds that really, you know, going from practically zero yoga practitioners to 20 million yo- people who practice yoga. And I think mm-hmm. the number is somewhere in the five or 10 million range with meditation now. And so there's been a massive upsurge of interest, and it's, a, and it's working its way into higher levels of power. There's, uh, there's a, um, I forget his name, Con- oh, Congressman Tim Ryan, who's working on getting meditation programs into schools. There's high-level CEOs who are all meditating now, and it's, it's become much more integrated in the culture to have yoga and meditation and personal growth practices to, to help us evolve more of our potential. And so that's what... Um, you know, I see it underway, and it's not a overnight thing. No. It's sort of a gradual cultural shift, but it's it's very clear and very powerful. And I think you know the two of you are clearly at the vanguard of that in Canada as well. And so, it's the natural next evolution where we move into a global consciousness that's more deeply connected with our souls and expressing a kind of unified, a unified uh, worldview. Absolutely. Mm, yes, and we definitely see it happening here too. Well, Stephen, we just want to thank you so much for being on the show today, for sharing this space with us. It was truly a pleasure. Yes, thank you very much. Thank you for all the work that you do, and please continue doing doing that, following your path. Thank you, too, as well. All right, and so people can connect with you through sacredamerica.net for your book yes. uh, and stuff surrounding that, and you also have stephendinnan.com. Yes. Right? <laughs> okay. Great. Perfect. Well, you have a wonderful day, and to all of our listeners, yes, thank you. Uh, you've thank been listening you so to Awakened. Have <laughs> thank you, Stephen. You've been listening to Awakened Hearts. Join us next week, same time, same place. Uh, we will be having more inspiring discussion. Don't miss it. From our hearts to yours. Namaste. Namaste. For tuning in this week to Awakened Hearts. Please join your hosts, Rebecca and Boyd Campbell, again next Monday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time and 12 noon Eastern Time on the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. Until our next show, have an enlightened week.